with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6. I love John chapter 6. I love John, especially chapter 6. Uh, you'll remember by now, I'm sure, that John 6 has three major parts. The sign, the storm, and the sermon. The sign, of course, is the feeding of the 5,000 uh, that Jesus performed at the beginning of the chapter. He did that sign, he did that miracle uh, to show the glory of his divine nature, not just to fill their bellies, but they got the supper, but that's all. In other words, they missed the glory, they only got the grub. So, because they missed it, even the disciples, uh, Jesus demonstrates the truth that he tried to show them by the storm, by sending the storm. And now in verses 22 through 71, Jesus, because they missed the truth of that sign, is going to tell, explain to the crowd, to the multitude, what he intended to show them in that miracle because they missed the truth. The truth that they missed was that Jesus did not come to give bread. Jesus is the bread, the true bread from heaven, the divine bread, the only one who can truly satisfy our souls. He is our satisfying treasure. So uh, we have worked through the storm. We worked through the, um, the, the sign, the miracle, and now we have been working through this sermon, which is in the form of a discourse with the multitude and various parts of particular members that were in the multitude, the crowd. And um, there's different ways you could divide up this discourse, this sermon. I've chosen to divide it up uh, and look at three gifts of the Father. So I have creatively called them the first gift, the second gift, and the third gift. And all I mean by that, first, second, and third, is not any order of time or importance. It's just the order in which they appear in the passage. So we have already looked at the first gift of the Father in verses 22 to 36. And last time... We started in on the second gift. So, um, the first gift was the gift, the first gift of the Father is the gift of Jesus to people. And last week we started on the second gift, and remember I told, not last week, last time, two months ago, um, told you I had 14 points I wanted to go over. So, shockingly, we did not finish all 14. So we're in the middle of that sermon. I think you guys were dragging your feet. And um, so let's begin by reading. I want to back up and start in verse 22 so you get the context because tonight context is going to be extremely important. It says, on the next day, this is the next day after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
uh, from the storm, the passage about the storm, we know what happened, that in the cover of night, the disciples and Jesus has crossed to the other side without the people knowing. Verse uh, 23 again, other small boats came from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him, by the way, they found him in the synagogue. They knew where to look. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what should we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Okay, that's gift number one, right? Father is giving them the bread from heaven, the true bread. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And then we come to our verses that we're in now, which I think um, verses that are one of the highest mountain points of scriptural truth in the Bible. For me, they have been. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. May God bless the reading of his word. So before I give you a quick review, since we are in the middle of a sermon and continue, I want to go on a couple little rabbit trails. So I'll, I'll try to make it quick. One of them is not super important. Another is fairly important. Um, the first one, and I'll kind of tie them together. So some of you have asked me why all of a sudden I'm not using the ESV when I preach since I've been in this part of John chapter 6. And uh, the reason is, like Russ mentioned in Hebrews, is that the translation of the word whoever. So if you look at verse 35, um, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever leaves in me will never thirst. I think that's how it says it in the ESV. Um, the whoever is a, an indefinite pronoun, and that's not what is used 
in this passage. It's a definite, very definite, the one, the one who believes. Sometimes that may not be so important, but in the verse that I hope that we can get to tonight, the end of verse, in verse 37, where it says, all that the Father gives me come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out that, the one, and ESV is translated whoever, and you really miss the truth of what Jesus is saying if you translate it whoever. It's very particular. So if you have the ASV, the King James Version, the uh, New, King Jean, New King James, the New American Standard, or the Legacy Standard, which I'm using tonight, um, you'll have the one or he or him in those places, which is more accurate. Um, if you have the NIV or the ESV, you have whoever. So I still love the ESV. I use it all the time. So, um, But in this instance, I'm using the Legacy Standard. So um, it's, not a, it's not an indefinite relative pronoun. Okay, rabbit trail number two. However, that doesn't mean that whoever should never be used. So even in this John chapter 6, the indefinite pronoun is used sometimes, whoever. Because the good news that Jesus can satisfy our souls, the good news that Jesus can deliver us from sin, goes out to whoever, to everybody. Not just to the elect, not just to the chosen, but to everybody, to whoever. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. When he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the unbelieving crowd. This huge crowd of people made up of primarily unbelievers, even the John uses the term Jew, referring to the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jews uh, who have already determined to kill him. And Jesus is giving the message of eternal life. It's a message that should go out to all people. So the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.14 says, I'm under obligation, both the Greeks and the barbarians, to slave and to free, to wise and to foolish, so forth. So he didn't say... I'm under obligation to the chosen, to the elect, right? It's to everybody. And that's a responsibility that every Christian has. The truth that God has chosen, a particular people, should not dampen our zeal for sharing the gospel, but it should fuel it, right? We know that they are chosen. God's chosen out there. We don't know who they are. And the means that God uses to bring them to himself is the preaching of the gospel a responsibility that every one of us share. So you'll remember that uh, in Acts, remember the early church, the apostles kept getting arrested because they were preaching Jesus. And I don't know, the second or third time, the, the, the rulers said to them, you know, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name that you filled Jerusalem with his teaching. It's exactly what we should do, Right? We should fill Sarasota with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus. So uh, I had a theology professor who uh, just about every day when he would come to class would tell us 
I'm not a five-point Calvinist. I'm a seven-point Calvinist. He would say, I'm a tuliper, not a tulip. He would add ER to the tulip, evangelism and responsibility. So I agree with him. And nothing that I've said or nothing that I'm going to say about these three gifts of the Father takes away from that truth. Okay, 14 biblical truths about the second gift of the Father. So let me review what we've said so far. And remember, after we got through the ones we did last time, we concluded that what we really have, what we really have here, verses 37 through 40, is an incredible description of the eternal covenant of redemption. I say incredible because it's an account from the Lord Jesus Christ himself who was there, and he's telling us what happened. And it was a gift from the Father. So it started with that. So point number one was that this gift is a paternal gift. It's a gift from God the Father to God the Son. So look at the text, verse 37. All that the Father gives me. Okay? God the Father has given God the Son something. So it's a paternal gift. Secondly, we said about this gift that it's a gift of people. Okay, it says all, verse 37, all that, comes, all that the Father gives me come to me. That all is referring to people. He's talking about uh, someone who comes to Jesus, somebody who believes, somebody who's given eternal life, somebody who is resurrected. We're talking here about what? People. We're not talking about aliens or animals or anything else. We're talking about people. So this is a paternal gift of people. Thirdly, it's a pre-creation gift. Not, we won't go into it again too much except for look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of, my, of, the will of him who sent me. Okay, so... Jesus came to accomplish, to do something that had to do with the will that was decided back in eternity past. And so how far back do you have to go to get past that? you got to go all the way before creation, right? Because even in Genesis 3.16, Jesus' coming is prophesied. So it's a very clearly a pre-creation in eternity past and, of course, other scriptures you could find that would tell you that. We looked at John 17, 24, where Jesus is praying. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's a pre-creation gift. And fourthly, we said it's a... This gift is the precursor, meaning it's the fountainhead. It's the fountainhead of redemption. And that, again, is that same verse I just read, all, um, verse 37. Uh, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will that has sent me. So the, the reason Jesus came goes back to this eternal covenant of redemption when God 
the Father gave the gift of the people to his Son. And so everything flows out of that. It's the fountainhead of all redemptive history. I've come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. So you cannot understand anything about what God is doing unless you understand this gift. So you put those together and you get this description that Jesus is giving of the eternal covenant of redemption. For me, uh, I shared with you last time that changed everything. I grew up in a church that never mentioned uh, the eternal covenant of redemption. Uh, not until I was in college did I hear about it, and it changed everything. Because we can never understand Jesus unless we understand that uh, this eternal covenant of redemption. We can't understand his incarnation, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his exaltation, until we understand this gift from God the Father to God the Son. We can't understand ourselves until we understand this gift. We can't properly understand the Bible uh, until we understand the eternal covenant of redemption. You cannot understand the first gift unless you understand the second gift. The, gift. the first gift was the gift of people to Jesus. You can't understand that until you understand the gift of a people to Jesus. So I said last time that you will never understand for God so loved the world that he gave his only son until you understand that God the Father so loved his son that he gave his son a people. All right, that's review. So let's continue with some more points, all right? So the first word of that verse 37 is all. Very important little word, all. I want to know about the all. Who are, who are these all? First thing we can say, and I gave this away last time, I believe, is that uh, I want to know where they came from. How did they get into this all? And it's very clear that they are picked. All right. Obviously, I'm using all words that start with P. If I weren't, I would use chosen. They were chosen by God. All right. When did it happen? It happened before creation. None of us were there, so obviously we weren't involved in the least. No one else was involved. It was God and the counsel of his eternal will that he chose these people to give to his son. So if you, three important words to just underline, and we're going to get to these later because this is a major point, but just to point out now, like in verse 38, uh, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In the context, what is that will talking about? Talking about the gift of people to the Son. Okay? It was God's will. Their choice, their selection was a result of God's will, period. And you'll see that three, two more times he talks about the will of God. That's where it all started. That's where we came from. They were picked. We were chosen by God, his decreed will. We didn't pick ourselves. We weren't even born yet. God didn't look down in time to see what we would do if we would choose him. He didn't have to. He knew everything all at one moment, and he knew that we would never, as we sang earlier, choose him. 
We loved our sin. We hated God, therefore. And we would never have chosen Jesus because we loved our sin more. And we were dead in our sin. We're picked. We're chosen by God. Peter says, but you are a chosen family, a chosen race. Ephesians says, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in every, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he what? Chose us. He chose us. Not because of what we've done, not because of what we would do, not because we're worthy, not because we're chosen, but out of the pleasure of his will to the praise of his glory, period. It's all grace, all mercy, the love of God for us. We're picked, okay? But who are the, uh, who makes up the all? So all's an interesting word, right? The word all is an adjective. That means it modifies a noun. So the word all doesn't carry within itself what it's referring to. It's got to have something to go with. Um, so it's got to be supplied or implied in the context. Okay, so we're talking about all those uh, that the Father gave to the Son, but how many is all? Is all all? Or is all part of all the people? Okay, so you remember that um, we said two times ago that we're all in the same boat, right? We're all fallen sinners, unable to respond to God, unable to believe, apart from the intervention of God himself. So for all in the same boat, does all mean that he chose all who were in that boat? Or did he choose part of the people that were in the boat? And the all refers to those people. Which is it? So let me give you an example about this word all. So if you were here um, one Wednesday evening, potluck last spring, um, I brought two big bowls of tomatoes. Do you remember that? From my garden. And um, you might have overheard me say that night that these are all the tomatoes out of my garden. All right, to understand what all means, does that mean all past, present, and future, all the tomatoes ever from my garden? Did I mean that? Okay, so you would have to go by context, right? So the context was somebody said, who brought the tomatoes? I said, well, you know, Yesterday, we went out into our garden, and our tomato plants were just full of tomatoes, ripe tomatoes. And so we picked them, and these are all the tomatoes from my garden. What did I mean? They were just all the tomatoes that were ripe yesterday. Okay, that's what I had brought that evening. Didn't, re didn't mean all, every single one, past, present, and future without exception. So in the context here is all, every person who ever exists, in other words, um, every person past, present, and future, every person without exception, that God gave all of them, or does it mean that there's a particular portion, a selection of people that God gives, and this remnant of people, all of them, will come to faith in Christ. 
So I'm, uh, I'm not bringing this up to be a troublemaker. You know, I usually use that, leave that to Russ and, and Jason. I usually uh, stay on safe ground, you know, that everybody agrees on. But um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I got to stick with the text. And I believe, I'm bringing this up because I believe it's what Jesus, the point Jesus is making up, is bringing up. And I want to show you that as we go along. So I can't escape the test. So the way you answer that question has massive ramifications, right? So if you choose A, that all is every person without exception, then you have either universalism, which we're not even going to talk about because that's so clearly not taught in the scripture, or you have this, that God the Father chose all of humanity to give as a gift to Jesus, but only those who choose to believe become and make up the final actual gift. So God makes it possible for everyone to, be, to believe, to be saved by sending Jesus to die on the cross. The power of the cross to forgive sins is available to everyone who chooses the Father. Therefore, you'll see that if you look down to verse 44, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. So in this view, the Father draws everyone in the sense that he gives everybody a tug, a nudge, somehow the ability to believe. But the important part of this one is that the decisive act of coming and believing is up to each individual person. So whoever, if you want to use our uh, indefinite pronoun, whoever wants to believe, believes. God has done his part, now is up to you. I think it's John Piper who calls that the darling doctrine of the modern evangelical church. If you choose B, you have something like this, that all is a select portion of people that the Father has chosen to give to his Son and he has chosen a portion of humanity to give to his son, and he does all that is necessary to unfailingly bring them into the family of God. Therefore, he sends Jesus, the bread from heaven, to die on the cross, actually taking their sins upon himself so that he pays in full the penalty for their, their sin. He absorbs all the wrath for them, that was due to them so that there's no wrath left for his people. So God then sends, the Father then sends the Holy Spirit at just the right time to bring each person to saving faith, regeneration. The answer has to be in the context. I know you're good reformed people, most of you here tonight, so you know the answer, but the answer's got to be in the context, not in what you think. So let's look at the context. So last time I said that these verses, verses 37 through 40, that they're a truth bomb. My question is, why did Jesus drop this truth bomb on the crowd? Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to this unbelieving crowd who have only come to Jesus to get some more food. So why does he say this to them? Another way of saying what I'm saying is, why does 
verse 37, follow verse 36. Okay, look at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. I mean, just think of the magnitude of what Jesus is saying. These people have walked with Jesus. I mean, in person, they've seen Jesus. They've seen, they were there, they saw the miracle happen of the feeding of the 5,000. Not only that, but they've seen miracle after miracle because Jesus has been healing on a daily basis. They've seen it. They've seen all these miracles in person. They have heard the eternal Logos speak, teach. They've seen him. They've heard him. And if anybody would believe, it would surely be them. But the verse says, yet you do not believe. Then Jesus says, all who come to me, or all that the Father has given to me, will come to me. Remember, Jesus is using that word come to mean believe. Believing, saving faith. Now, why does he say that? Right after he says, you don't believe, but all that the Father gives me will come to me. What's he saying? What's the truth bomb? What's he? Right. Doesn't verse 37 explain verse 36? Okay. He's telling them why they have seen him in all of his glory, and yet they don't believe. Why is it? Because they're not given to the Son. Now, Jesus keeps hammering home this truth, the same thing. Okay? Once he talks to the crowd generally, he's going to talk to a certain group of people that were in the crowd, the Jews, the religious leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees, because watch what happens. Verse 41, therefore Jesus, the Jews, I'm sorry, the Jews were grumbling about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying this, not, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Why did Jesus say that? He's basically saying, okay, you Pharisees, you guys who are supposed to know so much, you're grumbling, you're trying to figure me out, it is completely useless. You can just stop. Why? Because the Father is not drawing them because they are not given to the Son. It's a clear implication of the text. Okay, now go down to... He's going to now talk to some would-be disciples. These are uh, people who've been following him, who say they're disciples, but once, once Jesus starts saying things they don't like or don't understand, when they realize they can't have Jesus on their terms, they're going to walk away from him. And verse 64, I believe it is, Jesus says to them, to this group, there are some of you who do not believe. And then John explains, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe 
and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, Jesus was saying to them, for this reason I said to you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him from the Father. Why did Jesus say that? Why does he have to keep hammering that home? He's explaining, isn't he, their unbelief. There are some of you who don't believe. Why is it? Well, I told you already, basically saying, no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. What explains their unbelief? It hasn't been granted by the Father for them to come. The Father's not drawing them. They are not given to Jesus. What explains Judas? Here's a guy who was even closer to Jesus than the crowd, right? I mean, he was right up close, one of the 12. What explains his unbelief and his betrayal, right? Who, he knew who it was who would betray him. For this reason, he said that no one can come to me unless it's granted from the Father. So in this massive crowd, all that we know of is that there were 11 who did believe, and Jesus speaks to them finally in the last part in verse 66, as a result, many of his disciples went away and were not walking with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Okay, finally, here's somebody who believes. The other disciples, the eleven. And we have believed that you've come. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One from God. And then Jesus says... Did I not what? Choose you. He didn't say, oh, pat him on the back. You're so much smarter than all these other people who don't believe. No. They were chosen. So if you look at the verse, verse 37, it'll become clear. All that the Father gives me will come to me. He doesn't say that it's possible for them to come. doesn't say they can come if they like. doesn't say they, they will come, absolutely will come. So if you didn't get it yet, this, la this point that I was talking about is that these are a partial people. They are picked people, chosen by God. They are a partial people. If I were using a word that's not starting with a P, I would use a better word would be remnant. God has chosen a remnant of mankind to give to his son. Uh, if you have time, sometime, you can read Romans 9 through 11, and you'll see that God has chosen a remnant of Jews, and he has chosen a remnant of Gentiles, and he's put them together as the people of God. So it is a partial people. Now, let me just... Time goes too fast. But let me answer the main objection. All right, turn over to John 12. Because this word all appears again in, ver in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 32. You'll find our word, our little word, important word, all. Verse 32 says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth will draw what? All men to myself. 
Okay, that seems to be suggesting all, because it has men there, everybody without exception. So those of you who are checking your Greek text right now will see that the word men is not there. It's just all. So you have to discover, you have to find out from the context who these all are. So the translators have provided for you their interpretation that it's all men or it's all people, and we'll see why they did that when we look at the context, all right? So um, the context is we're getting now near the end of Jesus' life. The triumphal entry has just happened. Jesus has entered, entered Jerusalem. In verse 20, if you go back to verse 20 of chapter 12, after the triumphal entry, it says that there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. What's, what does that mean? Who, what's a Greek? A Jew or a Gentile? Gentile. Okay. Then these Greeks, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Gentiles. Philip didn't know what to do, so Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Jesus answered them. Okay, that's very, very important. What Jesus says from here on, he's giving as an answer to the requests of these Gentiles to see Jesus. What about the Gentiles? And what about us? We're all Gentiles here tonight, right? Jesus says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I, tru truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, and if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, that's an allusion back to um, Isaiah 53.10. It says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. He's talking about the crucifixion, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he will see his seed. Okay, Jesus says he's... He's, going to, he's facing the cross. He's going to die so that he can see his seed, his children, his people that God has given him. All right? And who are they going to be? He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me that where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become dismayed. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hours. What hours is he talking about? The cross, right? Uh, for this purpose, though, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood up and heard it were saying that it had thundered, and others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now judgment has come upon this world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. Okay, that's the answer to these Gentiles. What's Jesus saying? That you 
are included in the cross work also. Gentiles are part of this remnant that God has given, the Father has given to the Son, and he will draw all people, all kinds of people, both Jews and Gentiles, to himself. That's clearly what the text is about. It's not saying at all that all, without exception, will be saved by Jesus' cross work, is it? Because if you read on in the context, you'll see that not nearly everybody believed. They didn't. In fact, it says, after Jesus spoke, then verse 36, these things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. Why? But though he had done so many signs before them, they still were not believing in him. Not everyone believes. That introduces total confusion in the, into the text, into the context. Jesus has clearly chosen a partial people for himself. Now, in a few minutes, I want to talk about why Jesus, go into more about why Jesus says this to the crowd. But go back to chapter 6. Let me give you a couple more points so that at least we can make a little bit of ground here tonight. So, in verse 30, so it's a partial people, okay? They're picked, they're a partial people. What else can we say about them? We can say that it's a plenary people. Not, plenary means not lacking any part. So when Jesus is talking about this gift of people, he talks about them as a unit, as one whole part, one whole unity, unit. Okay, so you see that in verse 37, all that the Father gives me. Okay, he's not talking about individuals there, but he's talking about that whole remnant all that the Father gives me, that whole remnant is going to come to me, he says. Uh, you'll see the same uh, thing later on in verse 39. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up. Okay, he's not talking about individual persons. He's talking about this group as a whole, the whole remnant. And you'll know that in Scripture, you'll find when we're the people of God are talked about, we're talked about like that, not as uh, random individuals just thrown together, but we're a unit. Okay, so we are, what, the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians. We are the bride of Christ, Revelation 21. We are the flock of Christ, John 10. We are the church of Christ, Ephesians 5. We are, we started talking about this uh, earlier in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 9. We are a chosen family, chosen race. The word there is genos, so family is better. We share the same genes. We're all part of a family, okay? We're a chosen family. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are Finally, his people. We are a unit, a family, together. So it's a plenary, a whole, but also we are a particular. Because look at verse 37. I love this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And this is where the translation is very important. And the one, not whoever, but the one, 
that or he who comes to me, individual, particular, comes to me, I will never cast out. It's a particular people. So you remember the parable of the lost sheep? The shepherd had a hundred sheep and one was lost. What did he do? He left the 99 and went until he found that one sheep. Every individual person he knows particularly. So remember Jesus was walking along one day with the crowd, huge crowd around him. And he walked under a tree, and all of a sudden, what did he do? He looked up, and what did he say? Zacchaeus. He knew his name. Come down. I'm going to eat at your house today. Salvation has come to your house today. He knew his name. But Revelation 2015 says, if anyone's name is found written in the book of life, right? Revelation 3, 5, he who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life. He knows us personally, individually. He knows our name. So he knows us personally. He knows us corporately. He has chosen us to be his people. He has chosen us to know us and love us individually, personally. So why is Jesus making this point as I close tonight? So think of the whole context. These people have seen the most incredible miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle besides the resurrection that's recorded in every gospel. Incredible miracle. They've heard Jesus teach. They've seen it all. But they totally missed it. They did not see his glory. And they're coming to Jesus to demand more food. The reason Jesus is making this point, I believe, is because his sovereignty is under attack, at least being questioned. Because the crowd and the Pharisees and the disciples missed the sign of the feeding of the 5,000. They missed the reality that Jesus is God, the same God who delivered them from Egypt the great I am, the ego a me, the omnipotent, sovereign God who's not dependent on the whims of people, but he is the one who rules over all. And he will not be reduced to a food dispenser. He will not be reduced to some kind of vending machine that we can demand some spiritual blessing whenever we want it, like they were doing. He's sovereign. And that's why, I mean, just think about it. If, if all they needed was just another miracle, why doesn't he do that, right? But that wasn't the case, was it? He's showing them that he is sovereign. He has sovereignly chosen a people, and he will sovereignly, without fail, save them to the glory of his grace. Isaiah 46 says this, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. 
and they fall down and worship. They lift it up on their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Call to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time things yet not done saying, my counsel will stand, I will, accomplish, I will accomplish my purpose, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass, I have purposed it and I will do it. That's our God. Don't miss that last statement, Isaiah, God said through Isaiah, I have purposed it and I will do it. The Father does not leave the gift of a people to his son, to the chances and the whims of people, he has purposed it and he will do it because he is sovereign. He saves us to the glory of his grace. Spurgeon said this, said those who are saved never sing well done to themselves. I like that. Those who are saved never sing well done to themselves. But when they get to heaven, they glorify grace alone. Grace, all the work shall crown. Through everlasting days, it lays in heaven the topmost stone and well deserves the praise. And he says, what a slap in the face this is for the human glory. Get that? What a slap in the face this is to human glorying. And he says, it's much needed. So I could spend the rest of my life in John 6, but I can also boil it down to one sentence. I am his and he is mine because God is sovereign. Paul says to the Thessalonians, let this sink in, all right? But we should always, we should always give thanks because God has chosen us. Let's pray. Our God, we, we do bow before your sovereignty this evening. You are God, <clears throat> there is no other. And tonight we do thank you and we praise you that in your grace and your love and your mercy, you gave us to Jesus, you chose us to be his. We are his, he is ours, and it is all by your doing. So help us now as we leave this place to go into our week and live in the reality of the power of the truths that we have heard today from your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here.